0: Hello and welcome into another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. I am Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad. Judd, July 1st is here and players are signing everywhere and teams are giving out horrendous contracts to stay at home defensemen in their 30s. It's that time of year again.
1: Happy Canada Day, first of all, Matthew Collar. Oh, thank Happy you. Canada Day.
0: Thank you. I uh, will have some Tim Hortons to celebrate. You guys have Tim Hortons around here, don't Tim you? Tim
1: Hortons recently actually came into the market within the last six months, and the coffee is top notch. In fact, I buy it by the by the uh, box now. It's so good.
0: And if you're interested in sponsoring our podcast, Tim Hortons, <laughs> please contact us at. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, well, good coffee. Happy birthday, Canada! Yes, and happy birthday, Canada! We got a trade one day before our Canadian birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marco Scandella, along with Jason Pominville going to the Buffalo Sabers. <clears throat> Which someone on this podcast may or may not have mentioned as a very realistic possibility. Because you basically
1: run run the team in Buffalo. We all know that. Yes, I do. Um, you're from Buffalo. You run that team. And you're here as a spy for the Sabres. Yeah, that's right.
0: You hired Phil that's Housley. Right. Uh, well, I will say that uh, I did get a phone call from someone in Buffalo uh, that there we go. asked my opinion on Marco Scandello, but I doubt that it played a huge oh, role. Yeah. Don't now. Don't underplay the, uh, it now. Sell it, baby. <laughs> Sell it. You were the you were the key to the deal. I was the key. Uh, and uh, you're welcome. All right. Well, he, let's break it down. So. Scandella and Pominville go to Buffalo. What mm-hmm. they get back is Marcus Fellino and Tyler Ennis. Mm-hmm. I can give you that side of things. So let me ask you then to tell me what you think of Scandella and Pominville going to Buffalo. Well, I, I applauded
1: uh, Chuck Fletcher the last few weeks for not trading Scandella because he-, he had a surplus of defensemen and had to dump cap room and... Basically, I'm sure teams that that he called knew exactly that. And so if, if he had said, you know what, I'll basically send you Scandella for a couple draft picks, I would not have been a fan. I was a fan of being patient. Here's what I like about this trade. Scandella had a really good playoff. He has, I think, for the last two years been very inconsistent. So he's not a great player, but he's not a bad player. He's a fine defenseman. What I like about this trade is it does right the wrong of one of the worst contracts that Chuck Fletcher has done. Yes, that's right. One of the worst contracts in, and I'm sure the conversation with Buffalo was very simple. We'll give you Scandella for a couple of players back if you take Pominville. That Pominville contract, keep in mind, uh, Jason Pommenville was acquired from the Sabres in a trade that sent who? Jeff Hackett. Uh, That would be Larson or Matt Hackett. I can't even remember his name now. Goaltender. (laughs) Larson. Not a very good one. Some draft picks. But the point is, that was, if I'm correct here, that was the first year of Parisian Suter. And the Wild at that time hadn't made the playoffs in five years. And Fletcher made that trade in April to solidify his top six forwards at the time. The trade itself is a good trade. Those players didn't develop into great players. Uh, The trade itself was fine. But here was the problem. Pommelville comes back the next year, and in October of that year, they signed him to a five-year contract extension. He's 30 years old or so at the time, Collar. They signed him to a five-year contract extension, which doesn't kick in until the following season. In his last year of his contract, he scored 30 goals. That's fantastic. But the issue was you gave a guy who was 30 and not getting any younger a five-year contract extension that was tantamount to six years. That was ridiculous. What made it worse? No move clause. Limited no trade clause. The contract that they gave Pominville was ridiculous based on the fact that if you look at the history of goal scorers, right, around the time they turned 30, you become leery. If that had been a three-year extension, I'm fine. It was five years. So long story short – I think the Scandella trade did maximize the ability to say, okay, here's four million off the cap with him. Here's Pominville's salary off the cap, and I think you went from being around fourteen million dollars under the cap to eighteen plus. I like the trade just based solely on the fact that you got rid of the Pominville contract.
0: Let me offer some counterpoint to the Pominville contract being really bad. One is this is a team, as soon as you sign Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, you are in win-now mode until those guys can't play anymore, Uh basically. Uh When you have those deals for those caliber of players, you are doing everything you can to win every single year. And I think you've seen a lot of teams, when they're in win-now mode, give out contracts that you wouldn't approve of. And one of them has worked out really well. That's Ryan Kessler in uh, Anaheim. When he signed his deal, I went, oh, man, that could go the wrong way because he was around 30 years old, and I think it was a five- or six-year deal, big money, and he's actually bounced kind of back. He had a little bit of a dip and and actually – has been phenomenal for the Ducks in the couple of years he's been there. But initially you would have said, geez, that's a lot to give out for a player of his age with all those miles on his body. But with gets and Perry at their age, your superstar players who could possibly win you a cup. You had to do it. Mm-hmm. I would look at the Pominable deal is kind of the same way. He scores 30 goals and you're thinking, where are we going to replace 30 goals in free agency? We'll probably have to pay somebody else crazy money or, or we'll just have to pay him crazy money. But you, but you of all people, know that when a goal scorer turns mm-hmm. 30,
1: I'm not saying the contract extension was fine. The issue was you gave him everything he wanted. Mm-hmm. It was way too much. You went five years with a year before that left. It now becomes six years out. Six years out, mm-hmm. you gave him the no move, the no trade. My point is this. The Parisi and Suter contracts, I totally get. They're ridiculous. They're crazy. But I completely get that. But look at the uh, contracts then that Fletcher at that time had di- had distributed or was about to. Koivu, a long-term contract. Yep. Parisi, Suter, Pominville, all getting no trade, no moves. I I am with you on the fact that Pominville deserved a contract extension when he got it, mm-hmm. but the length was ridiculous to me, and the security that you give these guys is ridiculous. I'm sorry, but, but if I'm going to give you five years out – I have to be able to move you fairly easily. I'm not going to give you every single thing that you want.
0: I would That's also my problem. Well, I would also say this that his really bad year, which was 2 years ago, was a year of extreme turmoil. I mean, you fire Mike Yo, you had a good start and then a really horrible January. Everything was kind of going wrong, that team couldn't score, right? And his statistics went down. Bruce Boudreaux comes in, and he scores 47 points. All of a sudden, if you're talking about his money versus a 40-something point scorer, you're not looking too bad. The other thing is, too, I think everyone in the league, I think every single GM looked at each other and said, yeah, we can sign some guys for too much because the cap will go up. Well, right, right. right. I mean... Okay, so here's the problem You would have thought that a couple years ago. Very
1: good point, and here's what drives me crazy about that. I forgive completely and don't complain about and wouldn't complain about the Parisi and Suter contracts. Because I really believe if you wound back the clock right now and told Leopold and Fletcher, hey, here's the one thing, she ain't going up. The commissioner's awful. This is a circus. That they'd probably say, oh boy, we probably can't do two deals. They did those deals. Those deals at the time made sense. I get those. But by the time you did the Pommonville contract, shouldn't you have been a little bit at least leery of that? I mean, here's the one thing. If I ever got a job... In this league, as a GM, my starting point from day one would be this. My commissioner's a moron. He's an <laughs> idiot. I can't count on him. I can't trust him. I I am literally working in a bargain basement store. Yeah. So it, that's what – that contract to me, though, just symbolized – the okay you just gave a player who's a nice player not a great player a very nice player at the time you just gave him every single thing he wanted mm-hmm. did you really need to do that and and he wasn't it wasn't like he he was going to hit the uh market immediately he still had a year to go yeah. that's my frustration yeah
0: now now that i think is a very good point that you didn't need to do it at that moment that they did it uh, the other part of it is And what I didn't realize until actually someone on Twitter pointed this out to me was that his no trade went from 20 teams to 10 teams this year. Uh When we were discussing it on another podcast, somebody else pointed that out to me that that was in his contract. And I think that that would be your flexibility that yes, they gave him the no moves and all that stuff. But when it changed over to this year and they were able to seek out more teams, although I think Pominville. Knowing that his wife is from Buffalo, I believe, and I he they also live there, right? lives there in the off season. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the case. Yeah, which Buffalo in the summer is very much like Minnesota in the summer. It's nice, uh, nice weather and stuff. So I could see why you'd and do, in be okay with. How's uh, Buffalo? Uh, not great, not great. But uh, anyway, I think different the trade, than Minnesota. I think the, the More so. I think the
1: trade from the Wild standpoint is. Scandell's a nice player he was going to be moved but you were very happy that you could include Pominville, and that was the mm-hmm. key the key to that deal being done was jason Pominville.
0: yes because it's very unlikely that he will have as good of a season i mean if you think about his age he should have been dipping anyway over the last few years and kind of did sure to have a bounce back like that there's only so much you could expect after this it's kind of like with uh, shane doan where he had that big 27-goal season two years ago. and are you tell, Wait, wait. Are you telling me an aging player coming
1: off a bad year who pops back up, might go back down <laughs> again? Who comes to mind there? Uh, perhaps um, Eric Stahl?
0: Yes, Eric Stahl as well, for Another sure.
1: dangerous assumption that he is going to mm-hmm. r- remain as good this coming season as he was last
0: year. I completely agree uh, with that, which is, I guess, why give, letting Eric Howla go You had to let somebody go at that point. That's a little frustrating because if Eric Stahl does struggle, Mm -hmm. Howlow was not at Eric Stahl's level. He's not a 60-point player, but he could move up and down the lineup if there were some struggles there. But uh, anyway. So from the Buffalo end. From the Buffalo end, I can tell you this, that I talked to a scout yesterday about Marcus Foligno. You incited. I did. And he said that. His scouting report on Marcus Felino basically said the poster boy for inconsistency. <laughs> and I can attest to that as well that throughout Marcus Felino's career, there have been times where you thought this guy was going to be very similar to Milan Lucic in his prime. Like a big time scorer, 20 25 goals. Add another 15, 20 assists. Bruiser. He's a physical player. When he plays at his physical best, and it's very hard to do that for 82 games, but when he plays at his most physically intimidating, mm-hmm. he is a powerhouse. And fighting is irrelevant now, but very few people in the league want to fight Marcus Felino. I mean, he is a, if you go and, and just look, not that I endorse fighting, uh, especially with what a lot of guys went through after their careers who were fighters. But from the physical standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, he can be a dominant and intimidating player at times. There can also be 20, 30 games in a row where that does not happen a single time. He can get to the net and score sometimes, but his shot rate is extremely low that if he's not scoring right in front of the net, he's really not getting shots on goal or making anyone concerned about him offensively. So there will be these stretches where, or games where he will be a dominant player and maybe even win the game all by himself. He's so good. And there will be a lot of other times where you just don't notice him. What's your diagnosis? Well, that's debated a lot uh, among a lot of people in Buffalo for the last few years of what does happen. And I think two things. Uh, I think that he doesn't have as his personality, a natural edge to him. Like if you run into his brother, Nick, Nick is smaller and not even close to like his physically built, but Nick is kind of a edgy guy, like who will go after you on a nightly basis. Right? He's not a fighter or anything like that, but he's just an edge. he's he plays with an edge. Yeah. I don't think that that's there in his personality. I think that mm-hmm. coaches have always tried to get him. You, you've ever you ever heard the saying from coaches like you, if someone's over the top, you'd rather have that to try and bring him back than yes. to try and get him up. Yes. Well. He's the wrong side of that, basically. So he's a passive big guy, or he, or he gets passive. He does at times, yes. The way it will tend to go is he'll kind of slump back into that, just going out there and playing the game. Then he'll get demoted, or he'll have a coach get in his face, and then there'll be a couple of good games, and then he'll slide back. But He's you know, going to
1: drive Boudreau up the walls, what you're telling
0: me. Or Boudreau could be the right guy for him.
1: because it's hard, But it's hard to get that button pushed consistently? It is, yes. I mean, I know the exact type. It seems like we we run across the type of player that you're talking about in hockey and football,
0: oh right? yeah yeah sure like
1: you see these people and you're like, Oh my gosh, this guy's unbelievable. he's unleashed, he's playing with an edge, and the next game you come back, you're like, what happened right yep. so I've seen yeah, I know exactly the type of player you're
0: talking about now, even with that said, I think he could be more effective than he was in Buffalo because during his time in Buffalo. He had three coaches, he had two GMs, he had three years of blatant tanking, at at least two, maybe three years of blatant tanking. He was often asked to play over his head for his role, where sometimes he was asked to play top-line minutes and things like that. And by the numbers, Mm -hmm. when he was on the ice for the last few years, the Sabres scored more than they did when he was off the ice, which is pretty Pretty solid. Something you look for over a long period of time. Sure. I, goals against can be tricky because there's goalies. But goals for, the better players are raising their team's goals for. That just makes sense. Mm-hmm. And he was doing that in Buffalo. So could he be a guy that you put with Joel Eriksson and Charlie Coyle on a third line and then you have two inconsistent big guys who can both go to the net and a very talented and smart, skilled center? That's pretty good. That, that's a good look. I mean, I'm talking about the reason that Felino hasn't become a real superstar, right? not why he can't be an effective player. Because he can, I think, be an effective player. But
1: the Lucic comparison does bring to mind a, a guy who is effective in a certain role. Yeah. And yeah. that role is a tough role to play. And, and I think... It's interesting because no big guy, especially during the course of a season caller, no big guy is going to go out there 82 times right, and be like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, every single game. But you do expect a level of consistency, and you see those guys sometimes where it, it's just gone for two weeks, and that's what drives you crazy. I mean, that's where Boudreaux, if Boudreaux can get this kid to give him that type of consistency, let's say in 65 games, that's fantastic. But this is the, the flip side as a coach saying, In training camp, I love this kid. It's going to be great. And by March, he's scratching him because he's just gone nuts.
0: Well, what I would like to see is instead of hoping and pushing and yelling in his face that you need to be Milan Lucic, just understanding what he is as a player and what he does well outside of trying to run around and hitting everybody and being super, super physical and all those things – because it's kind of like sometimes with little guys, where you just kind of pigeonhole them into, you've got to be exactly this way because you're short, and that's what short guys do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do that all the time in sports. Uh, power forwards who are six foot seven, it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Draymond Green's, what, six eight? Barkley was like six seven. Well, some of those guys can succeed at that height when maybe they didn't think that they could. And it kind of works the opposite way, too, where some seven footers are soft three point shooters. And before sure. people wouldn't play them that much. And then all of a sudden teams went, you know, we should probably just let them shoot threes from out there and stop letting this height bias get in our way. There should be some of that with Felino. Like, yes, he's 6'3", 230. I get that. Mm-hmm. But when he's just playing the game and not trying to be this monster physical intimidator, mm-hmm. he's still pretty good. And so you just shouldn't
1: coil, though, might be a pair.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. So, hey, the lines disappeared. My my point is there will be some nights where you are blown away by how this guy could take over a game. And there will be other nights where he's just a player out there. Okay. And don't go crazy thinking, why can't he do that all the time? Because he's not going to do that all the time. But that doesn't mean he won't help you win. Now, Tyler Ennis, to me, is the key to this deal. Whether the Wild win this deal or sort of just are happy they've got cap room all depends on Tyler Ennis because Felino is what he is. Tyler Ennis, at his best, is a guy you could see Bruce Boudreaux getting a lot out of. I mean, Jason Zucker style, where he's been disappointing at times and then all of a sudden you're like, man, this guy is, he is a star now or he's a really quality top six player now. It depends on Ennis' health. He had two concussions in a very short period of time 2 years ago and since then he scored 24 points in 74 games. And that's top 6 minutes power play time. He's really struggled since he had those concussions. And he's a skill player, he's not the smartest player, but Loop he's
1: concussions are like big hits where he got big hits. blown up yeah. badly.
0: Yep, big hits. Okay. Um when he's at his we best, right. yep, he could be He's not of the IQ of a Grandland. He I also think Granlund plays hard all the time, and I don't think that for Ennis. Uh, but through the neutral zone, skill, finding passes, good shot, all those offensive gifts, okay. and a tremendous, tremendous skater, I think he's got all those talents. It's just, is he ever really going to bounce back from having those problems? Is he fast like Zucker? Very
1: fast. Okay. So, are are we talking about? So, if he's playing up to his complete potential, are we talking about a second line wing? And if he's not, we're talking about a third or fourth line guy?
0: You're talking about if he plays up to his potential, he is uh, most certainly a top six forward and a guy you play a lot on the power play. And we're talking his career high in points is 49, Mm -hmm. but we're bad teams mostly. You could be talking 50 to 60 points if he's playing at his absolute best. If he's playing at his worst, he's not in the NHL. Like he, it's that bad.
1: Really, it is that bad. And, and is this all? Are you saying this all post concussion as well? Yes.
0: What I have seen over the last two years from Tyler Ennis is not an NHL caliber player. It would be as if you just took your top scorer from Iowa wow. and moved him up to the NHL. Today, they uh, the Wild signed Cale O'Reilly. If you put Kale O'Reilly in Tyler Ennis's role yep. over seventy four games, he'd probably get twenty something points. Okay. and that's and he would be bad at defense, which Ennis is. And he'd get pushed off the puck like Ennis does at times, uh, and he would make some occasional good skill plays because an AHL player is very, very, very good at hockey. Yeah, but that's why they're in the AHL because they would Graovac only score last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got bounces up, but the Grayevac is more of a grinder. An A, you know this? That there's a lot of AHL skill players that will light up the so AHL. Are you
1: say so? You're you're talking about uh, the uh, baseball equivalent of a quad A player?
0: Is what he is over the last two years, yes.
1: And this is, do you attribute that directly to the concussions as yes, well? Yes, I do. Yeah. So th- this is not a guy who, who you overvalued and were just wrong on. This is a guy who got hurt twice in a short period of time mm-hmm. and it has not been the same since.
0: Because he proved it over a four year span that he sure. can be a top six forward. He scored in the shortened season 34 points in 48 games. Okay. I mean, he has exceptional skill. I'm not talking about one of the most skilled players in the league because there's just a there's just a shortage of highly intelligent plays that happen with him. But there is no shortage of skill. If you look up the highlight reel, he has a lot of the highlight reel goals. Um, it, it's just can you continue to play when you're that small? He's five foot nine. Yep. When you're that small and. A lot of the small guys like Matt Zuccarello or somebody like that, mm-hmm. they bring kind of their own little toughness to them. Very much. You know, yes. their, their own little like gnashing teeth, sort of. You don't want to play against that guy because he might slash you in the groin. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly
1: what you're talking about. And this
0: yes. does, does not have that. OK, so that's why I kind of look at him is we would have said a lot of the same things about Zucker. We would have said. Well, you know, he's a great skater, but he's not the highest IQ player all the time, and he doesn't really play the best defense all the time, and he kind of only does one thing well, but Boudreaux looked at that and said, well, he only does one thing well, well, let's have him do it all the time, Mm -hmm. and maybe there's a chance with Tyler Ennis that he could do this. Do you like this trade? As a bottom line, do you like what they did here?
1: Because to me, I look at it and say, you got rid of Contract Scandela to me is the best player probably in mm-hmm. the trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, if you were to come back to me and say, okay, you, your alternative would have been to trade Dumba, I trade Scandella. Yeah. So I don't love trading Scandella, and I do think that they subtracted a key component to subtract. So my my thought is, it's not a trade I look at and certainly hate. <laughs> I mean, there were some folks on Twitter saying, all oh, the why, Fletcher, this is terrible, terrible, mm-hmm. terrible. I look at it as you are going to make a move, but this will will go back to a bigger conversation of ours, which is you're also in a very precarious
0: contractual position. Yeah, and and that's what I get into as well, because player for player, you lost by a lot here, I think. But getting the cap room back and then the potential of the two players that because it's been so tumultuous in Buffalo – I mean, it's been one of the most disastrous franchises over the last five years. Still, they come out with Jack Eichel, which is what happens a lot when you're a super disaster. But having to fire a GM that you just hired not too long ago and having to fire uh, two, three coaches. I mean, you're, you're talking about a really messy situation. And I think if you look at someone like Justin Schultz, for example, he was in Edmonton when they were a mess and he got the brunt of criticism, he's a bust, it's not going to work out, he's too soft, he's bad defensively, he goes to a stable organization who has a superstar player and who has good players up and down the lineup, yep. and all of a sudden he's a 50-point defenseman and looks great. Yes. And you wonder if that could be the case, maybe not that big of a jump, but some jump with Felino and Ennis. Mm-hmm. But if it isn't, if they just kind of are who they are, you lost by a lot. But you kind of had to do it because you have to keep Grandland and you have to keep Nino Niederreiter.
1: And there was no team that you were going to call and say, I've got Marco Scandela and you are get to be the team th- that gets him. They're all going to turn around and say, Chuck, you're up against the cap. Mm-hmm. We'll give you this. We'll give you a draft pick. We'll give you. So because the Wild is stuck and because uh, their contracts and because the cap's not going up and their contracts are what they are, that's the problem here. And I don't even know. If wild fans should be mad about this at this point. I mean, I blame, I think you partially have to blame a league where where every other salary cap league, you look at it and it's pretty normal, right? Or the NBA goes way up and they have TV deals and they're, and they're really well run. And then you get this league and it's just not well run. Mm-hmm. It's just not, I mean, when you have a flat salary cap for as long as they have, you're talking about a league that's not really well yeah. run. And they can say all they want about, but our website's the best website and our fans <laughs> are the smartest fans. And you know what I say? That's a bunch of Crap that's who I don't care have, you know, make it so that teams can actually go out and spend at least normally and by this point, with the escrow and all that, Matthew, they can
0: for winning and losing the deal. here would be my one question that Chuck Fletcher would never tell you, but I'd love to find out behind the scenes. what would teams have given him for Jonas Brodeen? because the difference to me between Brodeen and Scandela there is one. Brodeen is a is younger and he's an exceptional defensive player and he flourished under Bruce Boudreaux. He won me over. You and I were talking about it before the season. I was like, "I don't know with Brodeen, I'm just not high on him." And he played much 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 better yep. and has kind of gotten himself into that Nicholas Jarmelson type of role where incredibly, he's incredibly exactly. Yes. Not flashy but steady. Yep, and with can you. lock on to anybody, skate with anybody, even if he's not the greatest passer, you know what you've got there. But What's the difference between him and Scandella, really, in terms of goals, in terms of wins? Uh, Because Scandella can step up in the play a little bit more. He is very capable defensively. He's a good all-around player. It's probably not much. So if there was a huge difference, and there is the age factor, too. I understand that. Yep. But if there was a huge difference in offers, if you could have instead got knowing how Montreal is and how beef-headed they are, Alex Galchenyuk. But they wanted Scandella because he's from there, yeah, which is typical right, Montreal. They, yes, it is typical we, Montreal. We, we need to bring but, a Hab home. But this is what we don't know. I'm not saying they could have gotten Alex Ramin- Galchenyuk for Brodine. I'm saying, what were those offers? Because yeah. if those offers were way better and you could bi- find any player to sort of build around up front, sure. as opposed to just two guys who have kind of struggled over the last few years— then I would have said, I'd rather keep Scandella and get your Chenyak, But I don't know that that's Let me the float this idea. I don't know if that's realistic Let me float this
1: idea past you. I think in the month of June, Fletcher shopped Brodeen and didn't hear back what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And trading Brodine uh, in, in a deal that we questioned, to me, would be a much bigger deal. The indictment, the Scandella trade isn't great. I, I get that. But I'm not sitting here gnashing my teeth about it. I think if you had said, Okay, we'll trade Brodeen and we'll take this back and, and you and I said that's not great, it'd be a major problem. Yeah. Because Brodeen and Brodeen is a guy, he's an eighty two gamer in this sense. He's a guy that if you just dip into wild games once a month or twice a month, you don't appreciate. You're mm-hmm. like, Okay, he's okay, he's fine, or he's not that great. But when you watch the wild consistently on a night in, night out basis, you gain an, you gain a huge appreciation for him. And Suter and guys like that, because they might not be flashy, but the stability that they give your team is huge. And I will say this I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Scandela basically had back to back seasons that weren't great. So, but I do believe from the reports that were out there that Fletcher definitely spent a few weeks at least shopping Brodine and probably didn't hear back. And, but, but once again, any team that, that Fletcher calls is going to say the same thing to him. Chuck, you're
0: stuck, right? You have, and we to know move. you're yep. stuck. We yep.
1: are. Ne- we're never going to give you. We're never going to give you maximum value for what you want because you are always dealing with your contracts and salary cap from a position of weakness, and yep. they are, and and that's just not them. I mean, the Blackhawks, same thing. But there's a lot of teams that are basically stuck.
0: I agree with all that. It's they're all great points. It, yes, they were. It's only I would have to know those offers. Sure. I agree with you that probably the Galchenyuk thing, maybe you'd have to be giving up a lot more or or whatever. Uh, I just know how Montreal traded P.K. Subban for Shea Weber and then signed Carl Alsner today to the most ridiculous contract ever. Mark Bergevin's not a good GM. I would be calling Mark Bergevin every day if I was a GM, trying to see what I could
1: steal away from him. Mark Bergevin's not a good GM. His garage sales are really, really poorly run.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what's funny? He may oddly enough, made one of the best moves of last offseason, signing Alexander Radulov. But now they don't want to pay Radulov, so he'll probably end up somewhere else. Of course, It's kind of funny how that works, right? Of course. Uh, Anyway, now big picture. So that's the the micro of the trade. The macro of the trade is how much it changes things going forward for the team in terms of wins and how they'll compete in the central. Uh, I say not a ton if... Gustav Olofsson comes up and is an average defenseman. Uh, Your difference there probably isn't a ton for what you lose. And they'll probably sign one more defenseman at some point. Mm -hmm. You still got your good goalie. You still got your young scorers up front. The problem is that everybody in the central is getting better. Well, you're staying the same. Mm -hmm. And Nashville signs Nick Benino, which is a pretty good signing for them. He's going to come in and give them some scoring, some defensive play, probably to replace Mike Fisher. Dallas is getting better. If they land Radulov, they're really tough. But they signed Martin Hansel, and they have a goalie now. And they've got a if better goalie now, ship. who yeah. has been to uh, Eastern Conference Final. Did they go to the Stanley Cup Final? Tampa Bay.
1: Uh, yes, uh, yes, yeah. Uh, they, they lost to Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Yes. Okay. So
0: you've got you've got a goalie who's taken his team to Eastern Conference Final, Stanley I- Cup Final.
1: Hitchcock's back there, so a defensive-minded system with a team that the last two years on defense was just atrocious.
0: I think it's going to be tough for them in the Central.
1: So are you, okay, are you back now to what Louis uh, said on our show at the beginning of this year or last year or both years, which is I wouldn't be surprised if they won the division and I wouldn't be surprised if they missed the playoffs. Um, Because I guess where I'm back to is this. I still think they're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I think they're a good team. Uh, it would not surprise me one bit if they had the same type of success that they had uh, in 2016-17 again. It also would not surprise me one bit if they scuffle for a, pl- for a playoff spot th- this coming year. I mean, I just don't – I don't see this trade certainly as, uh, as changing a, a huge dynamic of this team. And I guess my one question is this. When does this next sort of core group of young players start to emerge and come up? Because I'm curious mm-hmm. about them. I like them um i'm not i'm very hesitant caller to say that they are going to save the day because i think we thought that too much with this last group of young guys and while they're certainly not bad players they haven't been great all the time um but yeah i think your biggest problem is your biggest problem is the west as a whole is improving and then we, we've talked about this a thousand times but The Oilers are going to be fantastic. Yep. Uh, And so all those things really—if you were to tell me right now, hey, the Wild eight seed this coming year—I wouldn't be shocked. It would not. I would not say, "Oh my gosh, no way! I can't believe that."
0: Yeah. Yep. But this trade doesn't really
1: change that. No. This this trade, this trade really what it does is it creates the cap room to sign Nino and Gramland. I mean, that's why you made the trade, right?
0: What they're really banking on is that the next group of young forwards is going to be really good. And they might be. And they might be. If you don't find a uh, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel, Patrick Laine-type level player there, or, you know, I mean, Zach Parisi wasn't a number 1 overall pick, so every once in a while that does happen, but if you don't find one of those players there... You're probably talking about a lot of seasons that are first or second round outs because, as we've seen over and over and over and over again, and it, it really is kind of. So, when I was in Buffalo, I'll give you an example of how this conversation feels to me. Always
1: goes back to Buffalo, by the way. When
0: I was in Buffalo. Tell me a story about Buffalo, Matt. Everyone thought that um, as long as Ralph Wilson owned the team, they were going to be a wreck. And so, every Bills conversation would. End. It was like the gavel being slammed down with someone saying, well, none of this matters because as long as that guy owns the team, they're a wreck. Sure. And, and it was true. I mean, he wouldn't spend. He let free agents go. Minnesota benefited a lot. But Pat Williams and uh, Antoine, Antoine Winfield both yep. landing here yep. because they didn't want to spend. Reuben Brown left and a, bun- a bunch of different guys who were really good uh, ended up leaving the team. I feel the same way about the Wild by making this point about McDavid or Crosby or whomever. is. If you go through every Stanley Cup winner, they've got that guy. They have a guy who was drafted in the top three. Is there any Stanley Cup winner over the last, I don't know how many years? It Probably you have to go back to Detroit. And they had Datsuk, and that's the luckiest thing ever. The back-to-backs in 97, 98, you mean? Uh, but Detroit? even when they beat Pittsburgh, Okay. I think that's the last one you could go to where they didn't have a top three pick megastar who carried them. Doughty in L.A., Kane and Taves both, Sidney Crosby. These are the guys who win, and that's what makes it really tough with this wild team. Mm-hmm. So you're really talking about, well, how how competitive could you be? Could you get to the Western Conference Finals? Could you make things interesting? That's, that's kind of where we end My up. My answer
1: right now it. is no. My answer right now, there is too many, there are too many unknown variables with this team, including this. Do you have, I think this is a very fair question, going into the uh, 2017-18 season, do you have a semblance of a top-line center? I don't know the answer to that question. Eric Stahl, I mean, I keep going back to to it because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, Eric Stahl had a really bad year. He had a really nice bounce back. He's 32 years old. The analytics all of the research does not guarantee he's going to come back at 33 and repeat the success and so I mean your point continually and you're right is look at the teams that win and at center especially with the top line they have a really phenomenal player Eric Stahl last year was was what I would call a very nice player but it was a nice season and it slotted Koivu into his exact role Can you even come close to saying, I'm pretty sure that Eric Stahl is back? I don't think that's fair. Not at 32, and not when a year ago before that,
0: he had a season that was really bad. And we always connect guys who are going to have down years just to their age, but another thing to look at, too, is how many guys last year set career highs or close to it in shooting percentage? I mean, part of it is how Bruce Boudreaux plays. When you play transition hockey, you're looking for that one cross-ice pass that goes in as opposed to getting in the zone and kind of you know, putting your stakes down and taking shots and looking for rebounds and things like that. You're more of looking for a Granlund great pass to somebody to tap it in the net as your one shot. But still, you saw Koivu score more than he's scored over the last few years. Granlund sets a career high. Zucker scores a ton stall bounces back is every one of those pieces going to do the same thing next year it's kind of a lot to expect that guys will just continue to stay at their career highs i mean in baseball if somebody was a career 275 hitter and they hit 330 even though they tweak their swing a little you would still go 330 is a lot to ask to stay there because that guy's just not a 330 hitter sure and yeah. I think the same thing with probably five or six players on this team.
1: I think that's fair, and I, I just think that's and and that's why if you wanted to address that and and make moves, they can't, they just can't. And so you're going, you you're basically if you are a wild fan or you work for the team, you are going to come opening night. In, in my opinion, at least, have to hold your breath, right, and mm-hmm. say, I hope, I hope this works, hope that works, and. It's a lot to ask, and that doesn't even mean, and and if certain guys drop off, that doesn't mean that the team's going to be terrible or have a bad year. But to the point that that you broached before, the Western Conference is really good now. Mm -hmm. I mean, teams like the Wild and Chicago and these clubs that are essentially now in salary cap hell have to get super creative, and even if they get creative, it can be tough.
0: And you won't be drafting that guy anytime soon because as long as Bruce Boudreaux is your head coach, you're not falling so far off the Oh, map. your
1: plan. The collar plan's not going to happen. Here. No. I mean, well, and Leopold, I believe, told the Pioneer Press this, and I believe it wholeheartedly. He never has any interest in getting bad to get good. Like, that's not how he's wired. He would rather, and, and I'm sure part of it's because he's a huge fan, I'm sure... Part of it's because the TV contract in this league is so bad that home playoff gates bring in millions of dollars. Yep. But, I mean, Craig Leopold, I, I would be shocked if this guy ever said, okay, we, we made our run with these two guys. It didn't work. Now strip her down. I don't think you're ever going to hear that publicly or not from from this guy.
0: I would say the, the collar plan for this team is not to tear it apart and tank because you really can't. Not yet, but you'd like to eventually i think there's no choice but that's probably five years from now with the young players that they have and the guys who are solid like grandlin like nita Rider. i think my strip it down plan in sort of finger quotes would have been to start dealing guys who had career years and see if i could get anybody away from another team who i think is closer not a generational talent because no one's trading you uh, connor mcdavid but we did see Taylor Hall and Tyler Sagan get traded by the same guy, but Alex Galchenyuk was one of those types of players for me where I look at a top three pick who's probably been misused in Montreal like many players have yep. that could probably uh, push his play to another level. He's only 23 years old. That Those are the guys that I would have looked for. All right, so is there anybody out there who's been misused, miscast, over-criticized who would have that top-notch talent? I don't know how you get those guys, other than good luck. When Peter Chiarelli just says, "You know what, Tyler Sagan drinks too much at age nineteen, well, hold, so I'm just going to trade hold on
1: a him." the beautiful thing about this league is you can you can look around this league and you can find I think probably five to seven GMs who are idiots, right? Yes, correct. Because you can look because <laughs> you can look to Montreal lots of times. Yep, uh, you can look to. Edmonton, although I hesitate to be too tough there because they're they're good, and Shirley did have success at one time in Boston, despite the fact that he made some trades that to this day I still don't understand. Heck, most recently you, you can look to Florida, where Dale Talons back in power and exposing really good players in the expansion draft. So I do think that there's certain teams that you can try and cherry pick on, but but once again, I think the biggest problem Fletcher has right now is every phone call he makes is going to be met with Chuck, you ain't you ain't control this conversation. Yeah yeah I mean there's no the wild doesn't have the creativity or the ability to be creative right Un- unless I'm missing something here I just I look at that salary cap, I look at that roster, I look at those contracts, and I don't see I mean the start the starting point is this and this is where where the collar plan could come in and there's, and there's gonna have to sort of be at some point in time probably a bailout unless the salary cap finally just mm-hmm. goes way up, which I don't think it will, which is at some point in time in the midst of these 13 year preezy suitor contracts, right? If you gotta accept we're still stuck with these guys, and mm-hmm. by the way, we're not good now, that's a that's that's a tough day.
0: I think you will get there. I think you will get there. Where those guys can't play anymore, and if they don't retire and they're just they just keep playing and keep collecting those checks, that it's gonna be very difficult to win. And now towards the end
1: they do go way, way down, but I'm talking about the very end and we're not near that yet.
0: No, we're not we're not. But I mean I could see that within the next five years where those guys guys are really struggling. If some of these prospects don't work out, some of the contracts go belly up. I mean, Grandland is a contract that could easily go belly up. I mean, I like the way he fits with Boudreaux, but any time a guy has that big of a jump in production, I wonder, is that going to come back to life? It might not because he's got the right coach with him and he's playing the right way, finally in the right position, by the way, and in the right system. But that's a one where you always have to wonder when a guy gets to 26, which is kind of the peak of someone's career and he sets his career high. I'm not saying with age he'll go down. I'm just saying I think he was playing above his head Mm -hmm. and he'll come back. The one thing that they don't have, though, is a player who's blatantly overrated. That's what they do not have that. Just I don't know. Lucic is maybe the best example in Boston. He's very effective. Yeah. But at the same time, they had some elite players. David Krejci was really good. Patrice Bergeron was elite. Uh, Brad Marchand was an elite player. They had a really good team kind of around him. And you could see other GMs looking at him. They never traded him, but you could see other GMs looking at him and going, oh, man, this guy, he's everything you could ever dream of. He's just the fact that Chuck Fletcher said he wanted Marcus Foligno for years. He's an overrated player for what he actually brings you to what you think he's going to bring you because he's so big, I mean, some of these GMs get really excited about the size or a good Canadian guy.
1: These GMs are the, and this happens in all sports, in all sports, these GMs are the girlfriends who get their hands on a guy and they're going to change him. (laughs) It's what makes athletes, I've said this for years, this is what makes sports management so dangerous. And, and and I think this is probably 100 percent true in football when it comes probably to quarterbacks. If I only got my guy with him, oh yes, then oh, then, yes. then he'd be different. In our system in yes. our system, Brock yes. Osweiler is going to be different. <laughs> Brock Osweiler is yes. beautiful in our system. Yes. No, no, he's a, he's a fatty.
0: I would also say this if you're going to make that comparison, uh, if you are a young lady and you see the quarterback of the football team and he is big and chiseled and beautiful. And then when you hang out with him, you're like, yeah, he's pretty dumb and he might probably cheat on me. But, you know, I mean, he's pretty good looking. And eventually you find out, you know what? Should have just gone with the nerdy stat guy you, on the sideline. And then
1: you wave chiseled guy,
0: yeah. but he immediately
1: gets picked up off waivers yes. by the next team because they're going to change yes. him.
0: Right. There will be a Marcus Felino is yes. that type of guy. There will be a it's lot of young ladies because, in line for the chiseled guy. And,
1: and, and God help Chuck, he's probably seen Foligno on three on nights mm-hmm. where he's been great, right? And he says, well, there's no reason why we can't harness that for
0: yep. 65 games. So. Yep. Yep. And... There are, players that, but there are players that go the opposite way, who are very underrated sure. or underappreciated because of that effect that happens, that yeah. these hockey guys have this ingrained whatever to them that says, power forward. You see teams draft. It's like a moth to the light. You see them draft guys who didn't even score a lot in the OHL. Because he's going to be Cam Neely someday. Lawson Krause. Yep. That is a guy who's a fourth line or third line type player yep. maximum. Never so, never scored in the in the uh OHL or whatever uh I think it was the OHL. Barely ever scored. Mm-hmm. Why would you draft that guy in the top ten? That's crazy. Potential. Yeah, great uh, potential. He was drafted, I think, twelfth. But but you'd be I mean, it rarely ever happens. But they go Look at how big he is. Yep. Look, 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 look how he skates. And my point is, if you go up and down the wild roster, normally under the collar plan, I'd be saying, all right, which one of these guys are the chiseled quarterback of the high school football team that I can get some other guys to get those little heart emojis in their eyes. Uh, but there isn't anybody. It might, it might have been Dumba to a certain degree, but dumb is Dumba's not worth sure. it. So who's your... Um, it's actually... It, my, I would have said it's Brodeen, but if they already tried to trade Brodeen and didn't have good value because of their position, then it wouldn't have been.
1: So I, I think we both agree, though. This team has... They're a solid team. They're not a great yes. team. They're going to be... They're, they're victims of the fact that they can't make moves, and they're going to be, it looks like, victims of the fact that uh, their division and conference is I- improving. So... If you're Fletcher, what do you do next? Like, what's realistic? What can you do? What will you, once uh, the free agency period is done, what will you at least feel good about if you've done?
0: Uh, well, To I give would... your team a chance, in your mind. I mean, filling out the center position is the best thing you can do. Keeping Nino Niederreiter and Mikel Grandland is the best thing that you will do in the offseason. Uh, Niederreiter is an excellent, big, two-way player. Granlund, even though I think his scoring dips back, you're still probably talking 60 points, 55 to 60 points. Keeping those players and not having to let them go or trade them for almost nothing because of their contract situations is a win. The one thing I would say for if there is any reason to believe that there are chances uh, for the Wild, it's that, well, I mean... When you look around, a team that was one of the last teams into the playoffs ended up in the Stanley Cup final playing against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sure. Now, we said even going into the playoffs, Nashville's way better than those numbers look for a a number of reasons that I I don't need to say. But one of them was that they were missing Subban for a good 15-20 games, and they struggled in that time. Mm -hmm. And So they get in, and then they go on a run and end up in the Stanley Cup final are you going to be a good enough team where your chances are 55% to 45% to win most series against teams in the Western conference? The thing with McDavid is he's going to be the best player in the world. And he's going to be really tough to beat that Edmonton team is still not amazing around him. And I don't know if they ever will be there's conversations about trading dry if not, they have to sign Drysdale to probably $8 million a year. Yep. Where's the rest of that money going to go? How are they going to build that team up around? Plus, they don't have a savvy GM. They have a GM who traded Taylor Hall. Yep. Yeah, they do. Right? I mean, so well, he, there's no guarantee here's that, my thing. that that team's just stomping over you, I guess, is my point. And, and I would say that for any team that you match them up with. Nashville next year could you beat Nashville in a seven game series yeah you certainly could your odds will probably be something like 60 40 or 55 45
1: here's my thing I see the wild again uh, coming back next year regular season being successful now that might not be enough to be a top two seed or or I mean they, they they had what a franchise high I think 106 points this past year fall short of that possibly that's fine I think this is a playoff team. I think. I'm not sure. But I think they are. I think they get back to the playoffs. And this this next thing that I'm going to say might drive you crazy, but here's my feeling. If I look at this roster and I say, okay, start the playoffs next April with basically this, this same roster, which they will. Do I think that this team has the, ability, the talent, intestinal fortitude, uh, intangibles to make a playoff run? My answer is absolutely not. I don't see it. I don't see it because I do – no matter how much we want to pin the Wilds' loss in the first round to the Blues this year on goaltending or lack of luck or this or that, as a guy who has watched the sport, I saw a lot of things that this team didn't have the ability to do, Mm -hmm. which is what wins you playoff series. I, I I understand that non-hockey fan gets driven crazy by by the fact that the sport to them seems random and that I say, I say it's a big deal to me that in game one against the Blues, you didn't get to the net, which you didn't, and you really didn't for most of that series. But to me, that's a big deal. So do I see a team that if you put them up against the Preds in a seven-game series has the ability to beat them in on on the level of talent, on the level of intestinal fortitude, on the level of you've got those intangibles, my answer is you don't have enough.
0: Well, that's one of the things when you're looking and thinking about the odds. Let's say you go into a playoff series with Nashville and it's a 55% versus 45%. I'm just basing this on, let's say they, they were better than you during the regular season with goal scoring and maybe goaltending was fairly even and they're a better possession team. So they have... Fifty-five to sixty percent chance. You have forty to forty-five. You can certainly win that, but if all the intangibles swing their way too, if you get outcoached, which I'm not entirely convinced that Bruce Boudreaux didn't get outcoached. I know that's double negative, but you're saying he might have been outcoached in that series, and
1: he might have been in. in Might have been, and the fact that Mike Mike Yo knew all of your tendencies certainly helped Mike Yo.
0: I I really have trouble with that one because you you controlled the puck, you outshot them, you outscoring chance them. However, you frustrated them though. They the the Mike Yo and the Blues forced the Wild to play a game that they didn't play during the regular season. That's a big deal, and that is a big deal, and that's where I would say, did you get out coached? I don't okay. know, but okay. them forcing you to play this slower game here's what I would say though is uh, the is out-co- important.
1: but the out thing. See, I think when we talk about this, the immediate thought is like football adjustments. Yeah, like football. Football being out coached means personnel wise. I did a better I did a better job of scheming mm-hmm. than you did. And I think when we say outcoached in this country, that's how we think of it. In hockey, that can be true. I mean, your style definitely is a big deal. But when Mike Yo knows everything that frustrates your players mm-hmm. and you I the phrase take away their will is real. And the Wild's a team that has a lot of guys whose will can go really quickly. Mm-hmm. If Charlie Coyle were really tough, do you know how good he'd be? Yeah. Like if Charlie Coyle yeah. said, "Bleep it, I'm going to the net. I'm going to beat people up. And there were moments in that blue series where he did. And you're like, oh my gosh, where, where's this guy been? Mm-hmm. So I think we get too hung up on out coach just means personnel adjustments and things. Yeah. yeah. But if I know how to bother Miko Koivu or Granlund in hockey, that's a big deal. Cause the more ticked off you get about that, the more you stop playing your game.
0: Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, with someone like Koivu and Granlund is that the best that they were in their entire season was when they could get a defensive zone faceoff win that faceoff and fly up the ice with Granlund and Zucker and okay. having they did not get many opportunities to do that. No. Nope. They really didn't. Nope. Be, oddly yeah. enough, outshooting the Blues was hurting them with one of the best things that they do, which seems really counterintuitive, but it it did. I still say
1: well, careful that might knock my microphone. These off. things are very. Uh,
0: I I would I would still expensive. tend to say that it's almost like well, since they lost, we say he got outcoached, right? Yeah, because if well, they and it, I'm
1: not sure he did. I I just think it's an interesting thing to throw out there because you yeah. didn't hear it that much because it was almost taboo to say that.
0: Well, and also it it doesn't quite make logical sense when you outplay them by the shot counter, the scoring chances, everything else by so much. It's really hard to say well, you know, you got coach. even though you dominated every area of the game that would normally win you games. Mm-hmm. So I'm not ready to quite say that. Plus, there's this bias with Boudreaux. Because he hasn't won a cup, I think we'd be more apt to say he got coach, than someone who well, had won a, perfect, a cup, even if they did. Perfect
1: example same thing, different conference. Barry Trotts in Washington. Mm-hmm. We say the same thing there. Yep. We say the exact same thing. I, I guess my question comes down to this. How many teams right now in the Western Conference, if you were to put right today with the rosters, if you were to put the Wild against them in a playoff series, how many do you, can you definitively say the Wild wins that series? And if it's the top eight, there's not a ton to me. I mean, Chicago, yeah. Chicago, maybe now, but I don't think so. St. Louis, they just lost to Nashville. No, right. So if you were to just say, "Hey, I'm going to match the Wild against this team," there's not a ton of teams that I say Wild definitely wins that series. But if you, but if they play on an arbitrary January night, yeah, Wild can win. Well,
0: but I would also conversely say that there's not a lot of those teams that they would play where I would say, "Oh, sorry, they're just out of their league." Like for a little while with oh, with with, chi- with, that, yeah. with Chicago. I agree. Chicago was so good at one point where you would have just said, look, we're going to try, but they're, they're in a different level in the Western conference until Edmonton has some more of their young players develop or until they make some savvy free agent signings or on and on, they're not an untouchable beast yet. And McDavid scary enough is still two or three years away from his prime, Mm -hmm. which is madness to think about, Mm -hmm. but still the fact that. So even if you said they're going to play Edmonton, I would say, "Oh boy, well have fun with McDavid." But I wouldn't say they're way out of your league, and that's what makes it difficult to project with this wild team. And that's them.
1: Like that's the perfect thing. Exactly, that's them. Mm
0: -hmm. They're not. They.
1: It's not like we're saying that they're a bad team. But you also don't look and say, "I'm extremely confident." And you also look and say, "There's not." If you did want to change um, the chemistry, the culture, the Personnel wise, there's very little that you can do. Yep, there's it- very little, and that's why you go out as, as you talked about and get a guy like Felino, because in the back of Fletcher's mind, he's thinking this guy, this guy might be the type of big bruiser I need, but he also might be a guy that comes in and flames out and plays apathetic hockey for twenty games and gets sent to Iowa.
0: I don't think he's getting sent to Iowa, but yes, he he may frustrate you with apathetic hockey. Go fight in the A. Uh, I. The one thing about these two deals or this one deal with these two players is if it hits, if you roll the dice on these two guys and they hit and Felino scores 35 points instead of 23 because he's playing on a much better team, finally. I mean, I looked at his minutes, who he's played with over the last five years for his entire NHL career. He's played something like 3,000 minutes in the – the most he's shared with someone, another player, is 1,000. So that means he's been bouncing all over the place, two-thirds of the time, all over with different lines and everything else. Sure. And with Ennis, the concussion thing, there is a chance that this one comes up uh, with a good score, and you just get lucky, and then it makes a big difference to your overall depth. Usually the teams with the elite players win, but you would have at least you'd feel like if everything clicks again, you will have a... 50% Fifty percent chance sure. to beat a lot of these teams, but that's the best I can. But really the key do.
1: words that you just said, in my opinion, are if and hope. Yep. Uh huh. If this happens, and I hope that happens. Yep. That's the that is this franchise right now in a nutshell, which is yeah. You say if this happens, and I hope this can happen, but it, at the end of this conversation, you're not entirely sure that these things are going to to happen. And worst case, worst case, guys do start to fall off again. Worst case, Stall goes back to being assembled to the player he was two years ago. Zucker drops off again. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tough, but no one should be all that shocked if things are good, and they shouldn't be shocked if things go backwards a little bit.
0: Let me ha- let you have the final word on one other signing that's happened today, which is Kevin Chattenkirk goes to the Rangers. I just saw that.
1: Um, Not surprised, and I'm willing to bet he got... Sick money. I'm willing to bet he got ridiculous money. Is that correct? Have, I have they reported the terms yet? I, I terms did. I just yet. saw. I just saw a story on a TSN saying that he was willing to go there for less. I think the Devils or a club might have been offering more. Um, I got to be honest. I mean, he he got traded by the Blues to the Capitals. It was supposed to be a dump by the Blues at the time. The Blues then improved, made the playoffs, and and. Watching Shattenkirk in the playoffs for the Caps, he didn't blow me away. So it's just in every sport, it amazes me now, Matthew, the amount these guys get. I mean, every free agent day, you say to yourself, this day is going to be fun, and maybe teams won't spend ridiculously. And every time free agency starts in hockey and basketball, for instance, they just spend like drunken sailors. This was Your our guy, most... Sam Gagne got a yeah, big contract. Yeah, I mean, he was he once again, that's a conversation that we had last week on this very podcast
0: tying him potentially to the wild. And you're yep. like, he would do this and that a little bit. I He was one of the first guys I saw sign this morning
1: mm-hmm. after free agency began.
0: Yep. If you uh, it's funny because he, I think, was on a PTO last year and then he made like six hundred thousand dollars, six hundred fifty thousand. And then now he's got a, a bigger deal with Vancouver. So, all right. Well, uh, I didn't mean to depress you. I'm really yeah, sorry. About this yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. This was our this was our uh, most significant in terms of time. man Did we go adventure. for a while? Yes. We well, did. if you stayed to the end, thank you very much. It we was purple podcast ish in its uh, in its length. <laughs> okay, right. we'll catch you next time. Bye.